Hello, ladies. Love potions, eh? Yeah, they really do work. Then again, the way we hear it, sis, you're doing just fine on your own. Meaning? Are you not currently dating Dean Thomas? It's none of your business. Oh, bloody hell. We're all very holding hands. And snogging. I'd like to leave. What? You can't be serious. That happens to me, my sister. So? What if she looked over here and saw you snogging me? Would you expect her to get up and leave? Back to Vox Popsicle, I guess. <laughs> this is um, today in Pittsburgh. As we record this, it is currently negative four degrees with a negative 23 degree wind chill. And I might not survive the show, but I am Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav. And I am here once again with Wayne. Wayne, how you doing? I'm cold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be the theme of the episode. Apparently, we are warm compared to other places in the Midwest. So, so I've heard. To so our, if- our listeners in Chicago, I'm dreadfully sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And to our listeners in California, a friend of mine posted earlier about why is everybody complaining? And it's like, seriously, you fuck, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just love you all. Fuck you. Okay. So, so today's show, not actually about the cold, even though I, that's no way that's the last time we complain about it. No. <laughs> today's show, I thought leading up to Valentine's Day, it would be fun to do some Valentine's theme shows. And last week we did the show on headcanon and continuity and how things that happen in my mind when I'm reading a story might not be the same thing as things that happen in your mind when you're reading it, Wayne. Yeah. And I thought a fun way to deal with this is why don't we talk about shipping and shipping for those who don't know is, and if you're listening to the show, you know what it is. But, yeah. but for those who don't know, <laughs> shipping is when you take two characters from a media franchise who may or may not be romantically involved in screen. And then you devote your life to caring about how much they are. This was talked about briefly on our Slash Fiction episode, which was some time ago. And one of our guests then was Laura Valentine. So welcome back to the show. Hey, Thanks for having me. I'm hey, excited to talk about some of my shipping headcanons and some of the <laughs> shipping headcanons other people I know have because they're delightful yep. and fun. So there's no way to prove whether a ship exists or not. And I, at first I thought, well, why don't we talk about why people love to do this? And I thought, well, that's dumb because it's obvious. People love to do this because sex is fun and fiction is fun. And if I'm going to enjoy reading and I'm going to enjoy sex, of course, I'm going to enjoy believing that, you know, Spock and Kirk are fucking or something, right? Is that fair, that, is that fair enough? That's the reason why we do it. Is that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. (laughs) Well, we talked a lot back on that Slash Fiction episode about how one of the reasons fanfic goes the Slash way is because there is so little queer representation, getting better, but traditionally so little queer representation in popular media that people just decided, well, 
damn it, I'm going to invent my own. Yeah, if they're not going to do it for me, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> right. I'm going to do it myself. And it's a whole other type of sexuality, but. <laughs> I think that's straightforward enough. But one of the things that I think is interesting, because this is an argument that I've got in with other people. And by the way, if you notice, Hannah and Katia are missing this week. Uh, because they were both busy and I've actually had this argument with Hannah, but since she's not here before I even get into the argument, I just want to point out that Riverdale is the best show ever. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But (laughs) no one can stop me. Um, But (laughs) you you need to edit in one of her, her rebuffs for that. (laughs) Yeah. But um, yeah, she'll enjoy this when she listens to it later. (laughs) Anyway, I, I made the argument at some point, I don't remember if it was on air or not even, but I believe very much and very strongly that in the seventh Harry Potter book, I argue very much that Hermione and Harry have sex in the tent when they are on the run from Voldemort, where they're, when they're searching for him. And I've got reasons for that that I'll get into later. But other people say, this is stupid, this is ridiculous, they have no relationship with each other. And I thought what makes this show interesting is I don't want to just talk about ships because you can ship anybody together. If you want to decide that you have this great fanfic story where you think Harry and Draco have a, have a relationship, you can. And again, being plugged into the slash fiction world, uh, Laura, you're aware that lots of people have. Many, many people have <laughs> right. written these stories. There are literally thousands. Right. So, but I don't want to do Harry and Draco because my feeling is you cannot tell the story of Harry Potter as written and allow Harry and Draco to have a relationship. You have to change things. Now, I don't mind changing things. And I think that's an interesting exercise. But I personally believe that the story as it happens from what we have from Rowling, things change if you know that Harry and Draco have a relationship. Things change in ways that change the story fundamentally. The exercise that I'm looking for is what ships can we envision which do not change any of the text of the story in the book or in the movie or in the TV show, but change your your perspective on it. And, and so... It could legitimately fit into what actually happened without changing in characters or, or story. Mm-hmm. Right, but could change your understanding of it because that's where I think... Hermione Harry relationship is and I'll I'll tell mine first because that that gives you the setup and when I did some research when I was looking at her to see if other people had this idea and of course there are people on fanfiction.net who believe that Hermione and Harry have ended up should have ended up together but most of the stories that I looked up had essentially the story of fuck Ron we don't need him here's you know why Hermione and Harry are so much hotter that's, that was the way most people address it. And they end up together at the end of the story. And that doesn't work for me because Rowling says that Hermione ends up with, with Ron and Harry ends up with Jenny. What I believe, however, is there is a point where Ron being influenced by the power of the Horcrux and being a little bitchy whiner boy in general. <laughs> um, he basically storms off because he believes that Harry and Hermione are having an affair and he disapparates away and leaves them in the woods by themselves on the run from wizard Hitler for three months in the middle of the winter. He leaves in October. He comes back after Christmas. And I believe that over the course of that three months, 
two 18 year olds with no one else to talk to in a huddled cold, together in, in, a cold in, tent. in a cold tent <laughs> <laughs> on the run from wizard Hitler eventually fuck. That's what I believe. <laughs> they, and they've been, and they've been friends their entire lives. They are good friends. They do love each other. And I believe that eventually they're going to have sex from hormones and frankly, having nothing better to do with their time other than feel sad. Cause that's what they do. We, we, every time we see them, they're just feeling sad. And the movie has the touching scene where they have their, their lovely little dance and it's cute. And then they fade away. And then the next time we see them, Ron's coming back. I believe that they had sex after that. And I don't think it changes anything. I don't think it hurts the, I don't think it hurts the story because the people who have, who I've seen argue that, well, Hermione would never cheat on Ron. Hermione wasn't with Ron yet. Hermione wanted to be with Ron and Ron was a bitchy little whiner boy. So, so that, so that, that's not an issue. Hermione was sad. They thought they never were going to see him again. They thought they were going to be killed by wizard Hitler. And then, you know, I think stuff happens. Ron comes back. And I believe that Harry and Hermione then get to spend the rest of their years feeling guilty about their theoretical betrayal of Ron and they never speak of it and they're just sad and that gives them a reason to be devoted to Ron for the rest of their lives. That's my story. Well, I don't know about the feeling guilty and sad, but that's probably just because I wouldn't feel guilty about having sex with my <laughs> no, best friend Harry, in that circumstance. I would be no. like, oh, no, Wizard Hitler is totally going to kill me. I'm not going to die an 18-year-old virgin. This is not happening to me. Absolutely. Not when there yeah. is a perfectly serviceable dick right there. We're, we're, so, yeah, we're kind of a guilt-free society here on the podcast, it seems. Yes. Uh. Yeah, yeah, but but I'm saying that Hermione and Harry are not us. They're going to sit there and feel guilty forever. And I accept that. I just don't accept that their guilt would have stopped them ahead of time yeah oh, would no, have, i have to agree i have to agree <laughs> yeah. it would happen afterwards and and the thing is that the way you describe that that could certainly take place within the context of what we know in the book it's never dressed it's never mentioned but it could have happened without changing anything right it's just exactly. on pages that she left out yeah and i mean it would change the internal character of of those two characters mm-hmm. but if we never see that doesn't matter if we never see that that play out it matters to me because it makes me enjoy the book much yeah, more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that entire line of thought, because obviously I had a lot of it that came from a discussion with uh, with my wife, who's not on the show today, but has been before. Hey, Steph, she'll listen to this show and show hear me mention her name and she'll be like, oh, God, he's going to tell this because she can't <laughs> defend herself. But I believe that at the Triwizard Tournament, and I know I know Laura believes this, too, because I've discussed it with her at the Triwizard Tournament. There are tons of kids having sex in the bushes. Oh, there's so many people having sex in the bushes. <laughs> and there's, there, there, there's in fact at least one um, deleted scene from the, the film version, mm-hmm. um, which has Snape going around literally pulling kids having sex out of carriages. Right. So there are no bushes, but he's he's actively doing this. Like right. these kids are having sex and I'm chasing them down and throwing them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, anybody who's ever been on a yeah. high school field trip knows that yes this is what will happen right yeah absolutely <laughs> yes, exactly and, and of, yeah and of course so Rowling sort of in the in the book she mentions that kids are you know they Ron and Harry are stupid and they don't know what's going on but they're wandering by and they're seeing bushes shake and hearing giggling and stuff so Steph says well maybe they're just making out you don't know that they're having sex and it's like 
I know they're having sex. And she's, well, that would be so uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, but you're also 15 and you're, you, you lack options. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like that's, you know, there are, there are magic gates in rooms in, at Hogwarts. This is, you know, this is what you do, <laughs> which is to say that I'm not saying that I have had sex in bushes. I'm just saying, not yeah, saying I have not, it. Yeah, I, I, comfort's not a big factor when you're 15, 16 years old. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I grew up in the country. Going parking was part of what you did. And it, you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish in a very small car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hey. Yeah. <laughs> in, my, in my imagination, Wayne's talked about his hometown before. In my imagination, there are many bales of hay just, just, just yeah. kind of wandering around. Yeah. There's total weed that happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Delightful. So no one on the show today wants to dispute the sex in the bushes on Harry Potter. <laughs> no, no. Why would we dispute that? That's clearly and obviously what was happening. Okay. All right. Well, what, what about the Harry and Hermione thing? Does it? No, the Harry and the Hermione thing makes total sense. Um, I actually had not thought of that until you mentioned it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you mentioned it to me a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, wow, all right, that makes a lot more mm-hmm. sense than any other interpretation of what goes on during that time period. Because of course that would happen. Because any two human children out there who are at least nominally of the appropriate genders. And um, nominally and, sexual. And, and nominally by, sexual. By the sexual, way, exactly. I'm, not, I'm not convinced that if Hermione had, had stormed off and Ron had been left with Harry for three months while Wizard Hitler was chasing him, I'm not convinced that they wouldn't have fucked either. I'm just saying sooner or later, hormones get the best of you when you're, I mean, I, I guess they're barely 18. Don't they leave on Harry's 18th yeah. birthday because they have to wait for him to be able to um, apparate around or something like that? I think he's actually 17, but I'm not sure. Wizards are, wizards are weird about yeah. adulthood. Yeah, it might have been, yeah, it might have been, it might have been 17. Yeah, it might have been 17, but they, yeah, they, oh, that's also Britain, not here. But whatever, they wait till his birth, they're teenagers and they're on the run and they've seen nobody for months. Yeah. And then best friend just kind of storms off being, you know, little whiner. <laughs> yeah, well, so if, if Ron and Harry had been left alone, I'm, I don't think they would have fucked, but I do think they would have, you know, jerked off together. <laughs> Something happens. <laughs> I, 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 I'm honestly not sure that I can get behind Ron penetrating or being penetrated by in this um, particular situation. I, I think you're I think you're arguing a very heteronormative version of sex that I don't think is necessarily fair. <laughs> They're wizards, too. You know, stuff happens. Well, I mean, that's that's another favorite Harry Potter sexy headcanon, but not a shipping mm-hmm. headcanon is right. that there are lube spells. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I mean, I know this seems silly that we're even discussing this, but, you know, like literally three weeks ago, without anybody asking, you know, JK herself decided to explain in detail how wizards teleport their shit away. So no one had that question. She just decided, you know, you've been wondering this all the, all your life. And she decided to tweet about it. And I, and I go, I did not wonder that. I I always assumed Hogwarts has bathrooms, so clearly people use them. Yeah. What do I know? <laughs> well, she, and she she pointed out, well, they did. Like, literally, she just out of nowhere tweeted, you know, they didn't have bathrooms until 1895. Before that, they just pooped wherever. And then, boom. And I'm like, why are you, why are you telling us this? I don't need to know this. <laughs> but she she just felt that needed to be filled in for reasons. <laughs> and yes, if you're listening to the show, 
it, that absolutely that, happened. Yeah, that Go look it up. Link in, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did tweet this. So, yeah. We were supposed to have another guest, Josie, who was on the Game Up It show. And um, she ended up getting sick, so she couldn't be with us today. But I... I mentioned to her that I was going to tell the story because their question was, you know, if I'm right and Harry and Hermione have their, again, I don't think they have a whole relationship. I think they have one night. I think they feel overcome with guilt. And and I I think that fits with what we know of their character, that that they would feel guilty Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, they'd be guilty. And I don't think they ever tell Ron because they'd be afraid that it would crush him and he would never forgive them and blah, blah, blah. They could never break his heart. Right. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if they tell Jenny or not. I believe that they might maybe do because Hermione's too smart to do so. And she would like, she would just internalize the guilt. Harry would have the guilt eating at him and would blow up and have to tell Jenny at some point. And I don't think Jenny cares. Yeah. No, I think Jenny's cool with it. Yeah, I think Jenny's fine. Oh, she, yeah, of course. He's, he's and, much and, mentally healthier than anybody else in the books, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because one of my other personal Harry Potter, you know, in, you know, headcanon things isn't necessarily shipping. Well, I guess it is shipping because I think I can ship Jenny with just about anybody in the book. (laughs) Jenny has had a lot of sex in my version of Harry Potter. Jenny has had a lot of sex. (laughs) Jenny does not go go into her relationship with Harry, a virgin. No, not at all. Um, and there's one line where she almost tells you. There's one line in the book where which is it book six where Ron's dating, I want to say Lavender? Mm Mm-hmm. And and Jenny is dating Dean and then Ron gets all macho big brother douchebaggy and he's like, I don't like seeing you kiss Dean, you know, snogging with Dean. And Jenny says, I will snog whoever the fuck I want to. And I've done more than that. <laughs> and that, that that's essentially what she tells him. <laughs> she, she, uh, she says, I will do whatever I want. Who the, and it's none of your business, thus implying that she's been with more people than just Dean and also implying that she's done more than just Kiss. Is that book six? I think it's book six. It might be five. I lose track. I I don't remember offhand, but as it turns out, I have these as ebooks so I can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, I, I definitely think Ron at some point sleeps with Lavender. You know, there's a lot of them doing everything, but they're basically dry humping in the, um, in the common room and people are like, you go away. And then they go away and then they come back just giggling and stuff. So I think they definitely hook up. That's fine. And I think Jenny is certainly experimental enough that uh, she knows that she's more mature, more sexually mature than Hermione or Harry or Ron. I think she all but tells you in that scene. So I don't think she's a virgin when she when she actually starts dating Harry. She does make the first move. She's you know, she is sexually aggressive enough as a 15 year old that she is willing to make the first move. Good for her. But I also and here's the important thing. I don't think Ginny waits for Harry during year seven when Harry is off running from from Wizard Hitler. I think. Um, and by the way, I, I know her, I know his name's Voldemort. You, you, yeah, the show's yeah, funnier if I say Wizard Hitler. You, you don't say his name, so so Wizard. No, <laughs> and I think I, I think he who, who shall not be named is a stupid name. I think Wizard <laughs> Hitler. That's the way people should go. So, um, but Harry breaks up with Ginny to go fight wizard Hitler. He says, well, you know, I, I've got to go do this. I've got important stuff to do. And Jenny says, well, then I'll come too. And Harry's like, no, no, I cannot do that. I cannot have you come here because I love you too much. I'm leaving. And Jenny says, okay, fine. Bye. And Harry leaves. And the next time we see Jenny, we find out that Jenny has spent the entire year basically. And, and I've, I want this book so much. 
in my head, there's another book called, and I don't know if it's called Jenny Weasley or it's probably called, given the way that that book turns out, I want to hear, I want to read the book that's called Neville, Neville Longbottom and the Tale of Year Seven. Because for year yes. seven, we know that Neville, Luna, and Jenny are running Dumbledore's army against, they think Snape, because they don't know Snape's secretly a good guy, but they're fighting the good fight at Hogwarts during year seven. And I want to see that book so bad because, you know, we see Neville and he's like this fat pudgy dude who is kind of a loser. And then they leave. And then you see Neville six months later and the book implies that he's ripped. He's got long hair. He's carrying around swords and hacking snakes heads off. And, you know, Neville is suddenly a badass. So I think Neville had a real good year (laughs) and I want to know how that happened. And during that year, I am quite certain that Jenny slept with Luna and probably Neville too. Or all three of them. (laughs) Yeah. Or all three of them. Please let me write no, this book. I think it's true. So, so I actually went and I found in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince the scene between um, Ron and Ginny that I think mm-hmm. you're talking about. Yes. He uh, comes down a corridor. He and Harry find her um, snogging Dean. And um, he gets angry. He says that he doesn't want her snogging people, especially in public. Um, she says, it's none of your business who I go out with or what I do with them, Ron. Um, he all but calls her a slut. Yes. She gets real mad. He doesn't finish the sentence because it's perfectly obvious she's going to take his head off if he does. <laughs> and then she starts insulting his sexual development, essentially, saying yes. that he's never snogged anybody and he's about as advanced as a 12-year-old. And um, yes. it's, it's perfectly clear that she's way more sexually mature than he is. Absolutely. And knows it. Mm-hmm. And knows it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a lot of evidence of, you know, the maturity of other characters in the primary three, other than to be able to tell that they do. Like, you know that uh, annoying older Weasley brother, Percy? Yeah. Percy, we know, has a girlfriend that he has sex with in the bathroom sometimes. We know that from... <laughs> no, no, that's that's actually... That is very clear because Percy is wandering in and out of the bathroom and people and he's being mean to Ron and Harry and they're like, what's going on? And then later Jenny's like, dude, he's got a girlfriend. <laughs> like, like, and, and the, like, but there he, he keeps leaving for the prefect bathroom and you don't know what's going on. And then Jenny's excuse is, yeah, he's hanging out with his girlfriend hanging out. So fine. <laughs> so, so, so they have Netflix and chill in the prefect right, bathroom. Right. And, and Jenny, and that's like in book, like, Two, I think yeah, that's that's very early on. So Jenny is at least aware of what sex is back then, and I think it's just from that from that passage. I think it's just Harry and Harry and Ron who are emotionally stunned. I don't even think Hermione's really that emotionally stunned. I think she just you know she's only got these two idiots that she hangs up with. <laughs> well, and and, and she, she loses mm-hmm. her head a lot. So those are my Harry Potter ship that I think are important and I don't think modify the canon at all. I think it's very, very easy. I mean, we don't see anything with Jenny to contradict that. I just, in my version of her character, frankly, she'd be bored with her boyfriend off fighting, you know, wizard Hitler for, for months that she'd be bored enough to sleep with her only other two friends that she's well, they're not her only two other two friends. We're led to believe that Jenny probably has lots of friends. Just those mm-hmm. are the, those are her, those are clearly her best ones. So that's what I believe. Possibly Dean again, too. Once Harry's <laughs> gone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. OK, so what's our next one? You had some. I had some. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, um, I can talk about, uh, I guess, one of my um, my favorites that's very short is one from the Marvel Cinematic Universe film, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Okay. And it is that uh, Steve and Sam hooked up and Steve left without eating breakfast. What scene? <laughs> between, between the scene where Steve goes to see Sam at the VA mm-hmm. 
And the scene where he mysteriously knows where Sam lives <laughs> and turns up on his doorstep with Natasha. <laughs> and Sam said, has this snarky line about, you know, I made some breakfast if you guys eat that sort of thing or do that sort of thing, you know, because Steve left without having breakfast. He just took off. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where there's, there's like something missing in the canon, right? You're saying they're going, well, how does Steve know where he lives? Hmm. They've met like twice. He saw him running and then he saw him at work. Mm -hmm. How does he know where his apartment is? Good question. And if, if they went back there and hooked up and he took off, then <laughs> that answers that question. I have something to add. Well, Wayne, do you buy it or not? Because I have something to add to that. Now that I've never thought about this one before either, but just immediately I know I have I have a little detail that helps you there. Uh, it's It's been long enough since I've seen the movie. I don't remember that scene specifically. I, you know, I guess, and, and this just ties in with my thoughts on Captain America. I, I like the, the shipping is fine and all the, the Cap Tony stuff that's online or whatever. Okay, fine. Canonically, I just don't see Steve. He's an old fashioned 1940s boy. He's an old fashioned 1940s boy who's very confused. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting. You point out that he knows where Sam lives, but I'll, I'll give you something to help you. And this is something that I'd never thought of before because I knew that she wanted to tell this story, but I didn't know what her argument was. So now that I've heard your story, before he sees Sam, in order to evade capture by the shield and the police and everything, Natasha kisses him. Yes. And she basically afterwards, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. That was probably weird for you. That was probably your first kiss since the war. Yep. And Cap My says. My first kiss since 1945. 1945. <laughs> and Cap says, I've kissed other people. And I've always taken that to be a lie. It's like, bullshit. You've been on ice <laughs> until two weeks ago. Except <laughs> now that you mention it, Cap doesn't really lie. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's, like now we know he kisses Agent 13 later, but that's in the next movie. Yeah, that's in Civil War. Yeah, I um, don't. So Winter Soldier is actually, I think, a couple of years after he wakes up. The first Avengers movie is like about two or three weeks after he wakes up. It's, it's very early on. But I think in this one, I just watched Winter Soldier as research for this headcanon today. And I think he's been working as a S.H.I.E.L.D. operative for at least a year or so. So he's not just defrosted. It's it's recent, but not immediate. And I hadn't thought about um, his conversation with, with Natasha that way, but I think you may be right. He's very shady about who he's kissed and when he's kissed them. He says it was not his first kiss and that he's 95, not dead. Yes. But he doesn't say anything about who it was. Right. So clearly he's tried something but we have no reason to have any idea of who it is he hasn't met sharon yet yeah it could be sam yeah that one fits so neatly into the canon that there's almost not a lot of discussion <laughs> to have about it like you neither believe it happened or it didn't but there's just this time period it fits right in it it's just long enough and in the cinematic universe the one that that's obvious that they haven't established specifically that, that this happened but but hawkeye and, and natasha clinton natasha i mean that's canonical from the comics in the movies, we've never had them come right out and say it, but I think their, their relationship is certainly... Well, in the movies, they almost backtrack yeah. on it. Yeah. It's implied in the first in yeah. the first movie, it's implied absolutely in Avengers that they and were then, a couple, and then in Avengers 2, it's like, oh no, Annie Natasha's he, he has here, a wife right? and kids. Yeah, and, Annie Natasha's here. Mm -hmm, but that doesn't no, mean anything. No, they, no, they, yeah, they, they have a lot of missions together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gets cold yes, in Siberia and so. undercover or whatever. <laughs> so. when that's a major change in, in Hawkeye's character from the comics to the movies. In the, in the comics, he's hooked up a lot. Just a few times. <laughs> well, so, uh, Hawkeye's solo series by, or duo series, because yeah. there's two Hawkeyes in that book, by Matt, Matt Fraction, the best Hawkeye yeah. story he's ever written. The opening arc is basically about Hawkeye cheating on a Spider Woman mm. with a random girl because she's hot. <laughs> 
okay, this looks bad. <laughs> Which is- mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, and yeah. <laughs> I, I would make the I would make the, the I would make the point. This is turning into a Hawkeye show. I'd make the point that one of the things that separates him from Green Arrow is Green Arrow is just a horrible womanizer. Hawkeye is just really bad mm-hmm. at relationships, yeah. I, and I do think there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah, feels guilt yeah. over it too. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I think once again, the the relationship with Spider Woman is another one of those things I would put on the list of reasons Ben just doesn't know how to write Hawkeye because that just came out of the blue for <laughs> no reason, and and it, it never rang true to me at all. So 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 Fraction doing that, I I'm like, yeah, because that relationship was never real. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, my next one then, and this is one that I think is not going to be a surprise to anybody who is a fan of the show, because I think it, I think it's hard to ignore this one, but Xena and Gabby from yeah. Xena warrior princess. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> I, I, like, never, I never watched that regularly and I assume they slept together. <laughs> What's interesting about that one is it's, it's a really easy headcanon. There's literally nothing in the entire one of the show to contradict it. And a lot of things to support it. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that the showrunners and the writers and the actors, mm-hmm. We're all engaged in how explicit can we be about the fact that they are lovers before we Mm -hmm. get in trouble? Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like the opposite of queer baiting, Mm -hmm. right? Because they want to portray this relationship and they are limited in what they're allowed to do. And so they can only do it in eight million hints. Mm -hmm. And they are literally and thoughtfully trying to cram as many of those hints into the show as they possibly can right up until they get in trouble Mm -hmm. in a way that almost makes it feel like this isn't even a headcanon. This is just like a fact that they weren't allowed to put on screen. But I love it. Mm -hmm. I've loved it. Uh, you know, I watched Xena during its original run and I was super duper into that relationship. I thought it was wonderful for a lot of reasons. I'm by Xena is clearly and evidently not monosexual in the show. She's had past serious relationships with men. Um, she's had past relationships with women in addition to her relationship with Gabrielle. And it was so charming to see that on screen. I was very into it at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm still into it today. <laughs> <laughs> and the show itself never says so. Several of the writers have. Right. Lucy Lawless right. has. Has explicitly said, of course they're in a relationship. That's the entire point. But at least from the actual text, I guess you could read it as they're just really good friends. See also our Bird and Ernie episode. <laughs> <laughs> you could. Um, and that, again, is because of what they were allowed to get away with. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yes, in the text of the show, mm-hmm. they're not lovers. Well, they're not not lovers either. But they're not not lovers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think I think for that one, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, there's a lot to basically tell you. I believe they actually do say they love each other at several points. They do. Yeah, but you never see them kiss. You never see them make out or have sex or do anything. But there's there's clearly a lot of affection. And you do see them in relatively intimate moments that do not involve being... Actually, are there, they might be naked together. I don't remember them. They are naked together. Yeah, okay. They are uh, taking a bath together in at least one episode. Yeah. It's a fairly famous scene because um, Zena's fiddling around under the water and then she asks Gabrielle if she's sitting on the soap and it looks for all the world like she found that out mm-hmm. by putting her hand up underneath Gabrielle. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> so my comparison to that one, because I want to you know bring one in that I don't want to spend a lot of time on, but I think it's interesting because it speaks to this idea again of 
these headcanon ideas becoming real. The one that I think that reminds me very much of the Xena Gabby relationship, which is the fans doing it, is in comics. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. Harley Quinn was invented and a little bit of stuff that I know from, you know, I've done a lot of research on Harley Quinn because my job's really fun. But, um, <laughs> but Harley Quinn was invented to be a very sexualized character by Bruce Timm and, and Paul Denny and for, you know, for a television show for, for third graders. But she's a very hypersexual character from the very, very beginning. And sort of accidentally when they don't want to do stories with her and Joker, they started doing more and more stories with her and Poison Ivy. Yeah. And I, I think some of the reason for that was just the, the relationship with the Joker was such an abusive relationship that as she got more popular, yes. they wanted to really move her away from the, the victimhood thing. Mm-hmm. So she starts hanging out with her gal pal, Poison Ivy. And a lot of it is, you know, relatively innocent since it's on a on a cartoon for third graders. But then they bring Harley into the DC Universe Prime and they play around with it. And there's an there's an issue of Gotham City Sirens where Poison Ivy blows up at Harley, gets mad at her. It's like, what are you in love with me or something? And you know, they they fight and they you know, it's like a, yeah, it's it's very negative. That series was not very good, but or at least I didn't care for it. But the more modern version of Harley Quinn and the more recent issues that I think people are probably likely more familiar with that's you know the best-selling harley quinn comics poison ivy is a frequent guest star and for quite some time there were issues where ivy come visit and then in the morning they'd just be waking up in bed together sleeping on opposite sides of the bed but they'd be in pajamas and they clearly sleep in the same bed but harley has a one-bedroom apartment so maybe that's innocent you know ivy wakes up and before she leaves she gives harley a kiss on the cheek and says i've got to go bye-bye and so it's very cute and innocent and it could be or they're totally having sex and they're totally in a relationship and there's lots of I love you's like on Xena where it's a lot of it's very much like Xena and Gabby's relationship it's a lot of I love you uh, please come back soon blah 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 the problem is you also see at the same time that Harley has a guy that she is very much pursuing who's not the Joker in that series run at the same time she clearly is interested in another another male character and Ivy had had relationships on and off too so the people people were like oh well she's just playing with this they're trying to be titillating but she's they're not really bisexual amanda connor eventually came out and said no they're both bi and they're both polyamorous they've got a non-monogamous very loving relationship can't you read between the lines and there was been arguments in fact i know wayne and i had this conversation at a at a talk that you gave where it was like oh well only word of god which is word of god is when an author says something but you can't it's not on the text and for a while that was true there's since been an issue right before Amanda Connor left the series, I believe. There was an issue where Harley and Ivy go on vacation. They go on a cruise, get one bedroom. And at the end of the cruise, Harley very explicitly makes it, I want us to be a permanent couple. And Ivy's not into it. No, you've got my, you've got your life. I've got mine. You know, let's just keep things the way they are. So they, they have a conversation to where it is clearly canon now. So I guess they can become canon. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And, and that's, yeah. I think that's one of the prime examples of it where you know, fan response to this sort of thing is you know, people have approved of this. We've seen this in, in the recent Batman series by Tom King, which first time I've been actively recommending Batman in years, Tom King's just doing some really good mm-hmm. things. There was a, a poison Ivy story. And it was like just a two parter where, you know, Ivy is 
he's kind of lost it again and plants are taking over Gotham or whatever. And they, there's this whole buildup of, of, you know, how do we defeat her? How, how do we, we defeat, defeat her? her? How do we defeat the her? The way they defeat her is they go get Harley and she comes and says, Ivy, it's cool. I love you. And it works. <laughs> so they beat her by bringing her best friend over to tell her to chill out, you know, <laughs> rather than the, the, the Batman punchy punchy we usually get. And, and it was really well done. And, and mm-hmm. the conversation between them was really incredibly well written. And, and certainly all of that is mm-hmm. there. And I think there's, you know, there's a little bit of subtle, okay, if you really want to be homophobic and believe nothing's happening here, I'm not going to explicitly say, I love you. Now let's go have sex. But it is unambiguously Ivy decides to not destroy the world because Harley says, I love yeah. you and I'm part of this world. Yeah. Like, like yeah. that's, yeah. that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the story. That's it. Yeah. Who can't be redeemed by love? This is a classic redemption by love story. Come on. And you had one from Harry Potter. I did. I, I actually have two um, headcanon becomes canon ones. One of them is not a, it's not a shipping one, but um, a lot of people headcanoned Hermione as black. And there was a lot of fan art to that effect and whatnot. And then when Harry Potter and the Cursed Child was cast, Noma Dumazweni was as a black actress was cast as Hermione. And of course, some people were pretty upset. And JK Rowling um, at that point tweeted that, in fact, you cannot tell Hermione's race. Mm-hmm. From the original canon texts, she is described as having frizzy brown hair yeah, that's <laughs> and that's, you know, large teeth. And that's literally it. There's no way to assign those characteristics to a race. And so that one I, I really enjoyed because I thought, you know, a lot of people grew up thinking of Hermione that way. And they were disappointed when Emma Watson was cast, mm-hmm. not because they don't like her, but just because that Hermione didn't match up with the Hermione that they saw. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought that was rather nice. So now there's, you know, Hermione can be whatever race you want her to be <laughs> and, and she can be black British and that's totally cool. And I, I thought that one was really nice. I have another, uh, headcanon becomes real one. And then I don't know if you wanted me to get into that one. That Go was a little it. bit yeah. more complicated. All right. So this is, uh, Lois McMaster Bujold's long series of the Verkosigan saga, which is some enormous number of novels at this point. And the main point of view character for most of them is Miles Verkosigan. And his parents are in the books, Errol and Cordelia. And there's this one point where, you know, he's getting letters and messages back from his parents and they keep talking about their friend, Admiral Joel. And one fan author, Dear Sudis, was reading this. And once you realize like that their son, of course, is not reading between the lines, right? But if you take away the perspective of their child, you go, wow, this sort of everything feels like this is a poly triad, right? This is a polyamorous triad and these three people are involved. And Dira wrote a long series called The World That You Need about this situation. Years later, the book Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen comes out and it is about Cordelia and Joel getting past the death of Errol, who was Cordelia's husband and Joel's lover. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, they were in a polyamorous relationship. It was a V situation. So Cordelia and Joel were not involved. They're both getting past the death of this man that they both loved. So those hints were absolutely intentional. And if you read them through the eyes of the point of view character, you almost can't see them. 
them because he's the son of two of these characters and he doesn't see that at all. It's not, it doesn't cross his radar. But if you say, well, if I'm not this point of view character, if I'm not looking through his eyes, this is what this looks like. You get this, this interesting read on the relationship, which turns out to be the actual read that the author intended. And so it goes from this sort of headcanon can become this big story. And then it, then it turns out to be real. It turns out to be intentional. And I thought that, that was really interesting when it happened. You know, that book came out and I read it and I'm going, what the, what the, what the, because of course I've been reading The World That You Need for quite some time at that point. Um, I love this author and I love her work. So it's a, it, I think it happens probably a little bit more often than we know about, really, because sometimes a headcanon is just you're just picking up on hints that are actually mm-hmm. there and it's just coming down the pike later on. I also think particularly with long form fiction, things like comics, which can go on forever, or now book series that have, you know, franchise book series. When you go on to things that go on that long, the author can just respond to what they know the fans are into. They can. Bujold in this particular case, I don't think did. She very famously Mm -hmm. does not take place in any sort of take part in any discussions that involve fan fiction. She doesn't want to end up in a legal situation where there's a problem. So she's... She's very clear about staying away from that stuff. In, but, um, on the, the TV version of The Walking Dead, I think they they have put Rick and Michonne together. And I think that was very much in response yes. to fan fan shipping of, of those two. I mean, the the show had mm-hmm. changed from the book enough that like the Andrea character had been killed off much earlier. And in the book, he, he eventually gets involved with her and just you know, her not being on the show anymore. They had to do didn't have to. They didn't have to have him hook up with anybody. But um, I, I do think that was certainly in response to to the fan, you know, Fans having a headcanon and, and shipping this, whether it's in fanfic or just in response to the show. The other most common ship on on the Walking Dead TV show, and it's one that I, I don't agree with, is uh, the Daryl Carroll thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just tons of people been wanting them to hook up from from the beginning. And it, to to go back to the theme of the show, could you make the case that they snuck off you know, sometime between killing zombies and, and hooked up at some point and it didn't affect the show. Absolutely. There, there's plenty of spaces for that. Um, <laughs> at least the way I read those characters, I think it would be out of character t- of their relationship and what it's become for that to have mm-hmm. happened. But uh, I'm probably the minority amongst uh, Walking Dead shippers in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see I, I see him as being maternal to him. I, I actually think it, my, mm-hmm. my theory on Daryl on that show is for all of his, you know, manly, musky, redneck, virile portrayal, I think he's a virgin. I, 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 I think... <laughs> He, he, I think he's backward and socially awkward and prior to the zombie apocalypse, never anything happened. And since he just he's good shooting things, not so good with the talking and having relationship things. It's not, I know. Uh, and Wayne knows this, which oddly enough for this show, I'm not a huge fan of Walking Dead. I've seen it like twice mm-hmm. and I've read like two of the comics and people were like, oh, you know, we talked about this a couple shows ago where people just assume that when, yeah. you, when your job is to read pop culture for a living obviously you're into everything i'm like no that one didn't strike me um but i know enough you know just the research i know enough about the Mm -hmm. storyline and character that you're taught you're saying that and i think that does sort of fit the the idea of this show i mean we said the shipping thing but it's really about the sexual sexualization Mm -hmm. of people and i think that it is completely reasonable to say yeah maybe i mean 
similarly when and when the when they rebooted the Archie universe before the Riverdale television show Riverdale's the best show ever thank you Hannah um but when they rebooted the comic book they decided that Jughead was asexual yeah. then, he just suddenly became an asexual yeah, character canonical like and, he came out in a conversation with Kevin right Kevin who's gay mm-hmm. who's a now Kevin is a character that was invented for Archie to be Archie's gay mm-hmm. friend and Jughead, who'd been around for seventy years at that point, maybe eighty, and and, and you know, it, it was consistent with the way he'd been portrayed as you know he he, he never right. dated. He, he said things about hating girls, whatever, but it was always done in a humorous, yeah. not misogynistic, but humorous fashion. Um, right, and he, you know, and he he didn't, yeah, and he always, you know, he did. You might see him on on a mm-hmm. date every once in a while, but you know, they, they if they go to a prom or something, he's there with you know Myrtle or somebody or Ethel. I think a lot, but, yeah. yeah. And he's and he's and he's at the snack table. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> care, and there's no reason to believe he's not in the comic book version of Jug of Jughead. So they said, yeah, Jughead's asexual, and people were like, no, that's stupid. And I was like. No, that, that scans. I, I kind of believe Midge is hooking up with everybody behind Moose's back. Yeah, I, I think he has a reason to be well, jealous. I, <laughs> well, and this is a missed opportunity, so I'll let you do one because you you didn't have a lot of them when we talked yeah. about this show. But uh, but on Riverdale, the best show ever. I'm just gonna keep saying that because she's not here. <laughs> on Riverdale, the um the character of Midge. Spoilers for Riverdale. The character of Midge is not a big part of Riverdale. She shows up. She's a background character, which is a shame because she's yeah. kind of great in the books, but she's never, she's not one of the main four, yeah. three or four characters of, of the book. And Midge was barely on the show and, until they had a story for her, which was essentially to set up when they needed to, to, to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they yeah they needed to have a victim, so they promote Midge to main cast for an episode, or, or, you know, for an episode, and it happened, and she dies, and and then you're supposed to feel something for her because oh, they killed Midge, and most people, most fans who aren't me and Wayne are going who right, right? <laughs> who yeah. is that? But but give <laughs> yeah. me give me your argument. I'll let you do one of these. Give me your argument for Midge hooking up with because I think you can make yeah. that argument well, on Riverdale yeah, as well. I, Give me your argument for you know Midge, and I and I mean this with all due respect because I am, uh, I am all for not slut shaming, yeah. but I think Midge is a slut and proud, yeah. and I think you can probably. Well, argue I, that. I think the missed opportunity on the show. I mean, since they were dealing with real life issues, the 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 story arc of Midge and Moose in the comics is Midge is the most beautiful girl in school. It's not Veronica or Betty. It's Midge. She, she, she she's Midge. the most attractive yeah. girl in school, and she dates. Veronica and Betty are, are Archie's right. girlfriends, but Midge is the yeah. hot girl. And and Moose, the big dumb football player, is is her boyfriend. And he is the only story of Midge and Moose is he is super jealous, and if anybody talks to Midge, he will beat you up. That that's mm-hmm. the story. Um, and they've played that for laughs over the years. You know, Reggie Reggie says something to to Midge, and the next eight pages are Moose chasing him around Riverdale to beat him up. I think on the show, since they were dealing with more real life issues they missed a big opportunity to do that story of Moose is the controlling violent boyfriend who won't allow his girlfriend to have friends. Mm -hmm. The, the abusive relationship kind of thing, not physically abusive to Midge, but that inability to let her have friends or a life of her own or any of that stuff, just that, that sort of thing. And they, they didn't, play that out and I don't, maybe even that's too too tough for, for Riverdale well they were also very busy giving Moose the which is not in the comics right. but in the in the show Moose has is a closet right. homosexual because they frankly because they needed something for Kevin yeah. to do 
which yeah. was yeah. kind of where he's the other gay guy yeah. in town. Right. So. Yeah, they needed something for Kevin to do, not for Midge to do. So so I guess my, my right. point is because he is so controlling of Midge in, in the day-to-day life, she is doing everything she can short of getting beat up by him. She's cheating on him all the time because he is so controlling. This is her way of... of acting out on that. So yeah, I, I think you can make that that point that, that Midge is hooking up left and right with everybody who isn't Moose as sort of her her silent rebellion. And of course, we don't see enough of her on the show to say that's wrong. Yeah. She's in passing around a lot and we know everybody mm-hmm. loves her from the episode where yeah. she dies. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, how the, but how we got there, we have no idea. And Moose is very much otherwise. Now he's not abusive at all no. on the show. He's just he's terrified she's going to find out that he's cheating mm-hmm. on her by, you know, hooking up with Kevin behind the scenes. But nothing ever comes about comes of it because she dies. Yeah. So that's the that. Yeah, it, it is a missed opportunity with the show. But I guess you could. I mean, you could absolutely. Argue, and I don't know. I think it's a more interesting story if they bother to have it of the fact that I don't like you could have either she's. Either she's just trying to get back at him, mm-hmm. if you know, if it's the comic book version, or you can have that she's a sixteen-year-old girl and you know wants more than to just be in this yeah. steady relationship with this dude that she doesn't have anything to do, and you know wants mm-hmm. to play the field, you know, or she's Polly, yeah, or there's yeah any number of things that they just kind of uh, well, you know, we we'll we'll show her mm-hmm. once and then not again, and you know she's mostly yeah, ignored a, a on the show. Arc, so, a story where shame. she does that and Moose, you know puts the guy in the hospital or puts her in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that that's, that's intense storylines, but those sort of sorts of things mm-hmm. happen when you have that character type, the, the controlling boyfriend, the super jealous controlling boyfriend. And, and I, and I really thought when they brought her in, I really thought that was the direction they were going with that. And they just, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah, they just off, which, from somebody, something completely yeah. unrelated. Yeah. The, the big one, which I thought was actually several big ones, but I, again, for research, because my job is awesome, I got to watch the movie and I'm using, there's scare quotes around movie, I'm using this term loosely, but I have watched um, Axel Braun's Star Wars XXX, a porn parody. <laughs> and if you, and if you read the blog and you saw the image for, that I chose for this, for this, it looks like the image for the blog on the blog, www.boxpodcast.com, has a picture of Han Solo. Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker kind of making out together. If you pull up, pull it up, you'll see that. It does not because that is not Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, or Harrison Ford. That is three actors cast for this porn parody, which is, again, with, with quotes around it, very good. <laughs> um, it is, I mean, it's a parody. This guy, this director, Axel Braun, who's apparently very famous for making porn parodies, he went through and he reshot, and I've watched a few of them. Um, most of them are actually about comic book characters, which is how I became aware of them, but I've watched the one that it's about Star Wars, and he reshot the entirety of episode four or most of it except that anywhere that he could find sex to put in the movie he added sex to the movie (laughs) that's kind of beautiful oh it's great i I mean like i i kind of want to have a party and i don't know if anybody would come but i kind of at one point i'm gonna have a party where i just invite people over to get drunk and watch this movie (laughs) Uh, and it's like no 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 not sexually you've got to see this it's that kind of movie there's also a very weird scene where chewbacca has sex with a couple of female stormtroopers because you know Axel Braun's into what Axel Braun's into so I don't judge but but at the very end of the movie after they destroy the Death Star which happens exactly like it does in the real movie if you've seen the original movie 
they destroy the Death Star. Luke and Han land, and they're all happy to see each other. And and Leia says, "Han, Luke," and Luke says, "Carrie." And yes, that's part of Star Wars. If you rewind it, he clearly calls her Carrie, and it was missed in editing. <laughs> but Luke lands, and then in this version, she's hanging out with Han and Luke and thanking them and she kisses Luke because if you've seen episode four they're attracted to each other the entire time and Luke's like well I've never done anything like this before and Han's about to leave and she says no 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 you too and they have a threesome and they have sex and there was a joke in there and she's like well you know it's not like we're related or anything like that because <laughs> but they they have they they have sex because there's no reason to know they didn't you don't know what they did between the scene where they destroy the death star and when they have the medal ceremony and then they go and they have the medal ceremony and they having just had this threesome and you go well the goofy grins on han and luke's faces make a lot more sense now <laughs> <laughs> Which is what happens in the real movie. And they're winking at each other. And it's just kind of everybody's all smiling and happy. And that's how the original Star Wars ends. And it also makes Leia and Han's fight and the kiss with Luke at the beginning of Empire and all that makes that way more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that, so, you know, I, I watched that one. And I was like, there's, there's absolutely no reason to not believe in this one. <laughs> No, I think that's a good one. Headcanon accepted. <laughs> but that leads to the the classic for modern Star Wars, which is the question of Ray and Finn and Poe. And I think this is wrong because it is because Ray has nothing to do with this. <laughs> In my head, it's Finn and Poe. <laughs> <laughs> I love Finn and Poe together. I have to agree. Um, and I think it's, it's very helpful that Ray spends most of the, the second of the modern movies off trying to get Luke to not be a dick. But, you know, I really kind of wish that Finn and Poe had kind of gone rogue together instead of going rogue separately. Would have made it a better movie. Because that <laughs> would have, I yeah. think it would have been a better movie. Because Rose comes out of nowhere. I mean, I like the character that Kelly Tran portrays. I just don't think she has any place in that movie. Like, I think the plot line that we see them do is just kind of silly and pointless, but like, I like her. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like that plot line. I love Finn and Poe together. <laughs> no, I love Finn and Poe together. And, um, in the force awakens, mm -hmm. I know when, when yeah, Finn goes to get his jacket back and he says, keep it, <laughs> like, it looks good. Oh, on you. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that is not, there's no heterosexual explanation for that facial expression. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I don't one. know that there's any point where they do anything because I mean, unless they're unless they're having sex on the ship as they escape before they crash land, maybe that's why they crashed. No. Other than that, like they they don't have any moment together because in the first movie they spend most of it thinking that Poe is dead, and then Finn's on death's door at the end of the first movie until Poe's leaving in the second one. So I don't know when they have their moment together. So my feeling is that Poe was completely planning to have mm -hmm. victory sex with Finn um, in the first movie, and then that was shot to hell by Finn being being injured. So they have to have their victory sex some other time. Maybe after the second movie they're having their... We didn't get completely destroyed by the First Order. We are, in fact, still alive sex. It's not quite victory yeah. sex at the end of that so movie. So do they just have to tell Rose to get lost? or oh, she's, she's in a coma or something, isn't she? Yeah, I don't know. I forget what happens to Rose. Oh, she is in a coma. Is, is, is she in a coma? She gets hurt. She gets knocked out. Yeah, she's in the med bay at the very least. They just like putting people in comas in this 
serious. So they got time, yeah. is what you're saying. What I'm saying <laughs> is that they've got time. They, there's so much time oh, in there. Oh, Finn in a room full of porgs. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, good heavens. <laughs> well, that was that. That would be weird. Well, so one of the most. Uh, um, famous ones in my neck of the woods is um, that Jim Kirk is by James T. Kirk of Star Trek is is by you know when the, when Star Trek the motion picture came out there's this scene where Spock grabs him and says this simple feeling is beyond Vijay's comprehension and then Kirk is holding his hand and they are gazing at each other lovingly and it's completely ridiculous uh, it's it's mm-hmm. over the top which is great because by that point Kirk and Spock slash had been invented <laughs> <laughs> specifically for this very type of thing and then Gene Roddenberry wrote a novelization mm-hmm. of the movie. And in it, he invents a Vulcan word that means friend, mm-hmm. brother, lover. And then he puts an asterisk next to it when Spock uses it towards Kirk. And in this footnote, he has this elaborate justification about the rumors that Kirk and Spock are lovers. And it, it's one of those things that appears to mm-hmm. be a denial, but it's the same kind of denial as a bi person saying, mm-hmm. I'm not gay. <laughs> Yeah, techni- technically, I technically, in fact, Jim Kirk didn't manages to deny nothing in this footnote. It's very odd, and there is a very famous mm-hmm. analysis of it um, written by a fan named Judith Grant in mm-hmm. 1980 called "The Footnote," in which she uses a literary analysis, mm-hmm. close reading technique, to talk about how it's a non-denial mm-hmm. denial. You know, Kirk says, "Oh, I wasn't aware there was this rumor about us being lovers, and I like women the best." <laughs> Like, sure. well, try things that aren't women. I then, like sushi right. best. Okay. Doesn't mean I haven't had steak. It just means I um, like sushi best. <laughs> but but it's one of those things where, you know, if Roddenberry didn't want the lover's interpretation of that word <laughs> that he invented and defined, he could have just left it mm-hmm. out of the definition. And he absolutely did not leave it out of the definition. And given most of his track record on social issues, I suspect that he intentionally did not leave it out of the definition. But that he had to deny it because of the cultural situation at the time. So that's when we the buys claimed James Kirk for our own. <laughs> there was a meeting. We, we the buys have claimed James Kirk. <laughs> there was a meeting. Uh, Jim Kirk is ours. And that's, that's, that's actually one of my very favorite headcanons. It's a very old headcanon. It, you know, es- essentially is as old as I am. So it's about 40 years old or so. And I think that's great. I'm not willing to say fabulous. that Jim Kirk is bi- bisexual so much as just sexual as in, well, it's moving, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, J- Jim, Jim may in fact be pansexual, yeah, but that wasn't really wasn't <laughs> uh, in the, in the vocabulary at the time. Um, definitely not a monosexual person. The idea that gender works anything like, in fact, we know that gender doesn't work the same way in Star Trek as it does in other canons because of things like Dax. Yeah, yeah, the mm-hmm. trail and whatnot. Yeah. So there, I, I have more and I can go on. Well, no, there were a couple. I mean, I, I, so I had this list of things, but I haven't necessarily seen all of these. Um, one was Keith and Lance from Voltron. I think Voltron being derived from anime... There's, I mean, it's just all over the place. You know, their sexuality is rampant in manga and anime in many, many different permutations that are very much intentional, sometimes ambiguous, sometimes blatant. That's why, you know, if you see that one in there, I think that one's fair. Now, the next one, Aragorn and Legolas, Lord of the Rings. Lies. That is (laughs) lies. That never happened. No. Absolutely not. Well, I forbid this. See, no. My thing with Lord of the Rings is I'm pretty okay with just assuming in anybody's given reading, anybody could have fucked anybody in Lord of the Rings. Well, considering there was only like two female characters in all of Middle right. Earth, they don't know <laughs> a lot of options. They don't yeah. have a lot of women. Yeah. This is true. And by the way, like if, if, if you've not read the actual books, Lord of the Rings, it, it, 
they're the female characters in the books Lord in the books Lord of the Rings have way less play than they yeah. do in the films. Yeah. Um, so much so that when the movies were first coming out, I remember Max, who wrote our theme song, who's been on the show. I remember Max and I talking about, oh, we're gonna go see this. And and I was like, I don't know about this. And he's like, why? And it's like, well, they must they must have changed the story because they they added um Liv Tyler and there's no there's no women in that movie. And 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 Max had done the research. He's like, oh, she's I forgot what sort of character. Arwen. Yeah. Arwen. Yeah. Max says, oh, she's playing Arwen. And I was like, who the hell is Arwen? And she's like, she's the elf king's daughter. And I was like, what? That's not in the book. He's like, yes, it is. is In the last chapter. And Max is a huge Lord of the Rings. Yes, it is. And I was like, there's no elf. There's no Arwen in this book. And Max says, yes. And I'll show you where it is. And he grabs the book and he's like, right here. And it's literally at the end of the book, it says, and Aragorn married the elf queen, the elf king's daughter Arwen. That's her only mention. She's in the. She's in it's the other. Her, she's in the supplemental material, but she's not in the real story. She, she's in the supplemental material. There's there's one. There's like one time at at Rivendell where it's like, oh, you know, Aragorn's all being yeah. weird because Arwen's at dinner, so he's like off wanking or something. And says, Go ahead. That, that, it, that book's that book's barely there. Thousand yeah. page long, pages long. She's in two sentences. <laughs> She's in two sentences. Well, so so my favorite Lord of the Rings headcanon is Legolas yes. and Gimli, which is why I'm <laughs> objecting to your Aragorn and Gimli thing. And so the the canon, the in this eight thousand pages, here's basically what it says about Legolas and Gimli: that in Lothlorien they become really good friends and they start going off together alone mm-hmm. all the time. They stay really good friends always, and after the war, they spend all of their time mm-hmm. together. Up until Aragorn dies, when Legolas builds a ship to sail to the Undying Lands and he takes Gimli with him. You're not allowed to take dwarves to the Undying Lands, but apparently, if you are Legolas, you just can't leave your boyfriend behind. And that makes sense to me in the in you know in the context of the films, even you know, like which are abridged, you know, from the eight thousand page books. But yeah, that I I absolutely buy that. Um, we have. Jamie Lannister and Brienne of Tarth. See, I don't think like I don't see that one as having happened yet. They certainly like each other. Yeah. I yeah. think they want yeah. to, but they yeah. haven't yet. I agree. Um, I think Brienne's too sensible. Honestly, she doesn't she doesn't want to end up with a <laughs> bastard kid. She doesn't want to end up out of commission because she's knocked up. A lot of work, yeah. And, and she's also just yeah. way too socially awkward to ever actually make that happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's just otherwise engaged right now. Just mm. he's got too much going to He's got too much going on, and I'm not saying he, I'm not saying he's a, he's above it. I'm saying he no, just you, like it, it just you know yeah. I, I think Brienne Brienne is the one woman he respects enough not to just use. Yeah, that's fair. The tenth Doctor and Rose Tyler Doctor Who. Now, see, this one I think is interesting because I didn't know, and I started watching Doctor Who a lot later than a lot of people, and and I am actually I've become a big fan of it. I am not a fan of the original series because, and, I, and yes, I get that there are people out there who love who love the original series. Um, a good friend of ours, Laura, is a huge fan of the original series. They're bad. Mm-hmm. They're really yes. bad. Okay. They're awful. And if you grew up watching them and you have a special place in your heart, good for you. They suck. Okay. So <laughs> I've seen some, I've tried, I don't care. But in the actual show with the 10th doctor, the David Tennant doctor, the best doctor, there's the question of him and Rose Tyler. And it didn't occur to me till much after they were both off the show that people believe that they're not a couple. <laughs> what world are you living in? Because that's the whole show. Yeah, that's I, the whole show. Yes. Yeah, no, that's 
That's the whole show. But I guess people, yeah. I guess, oh, the doctor's not a sexual creature. The doctor gets married mm-hmm. like twice. Yeah. What are you talking well, they, about? They, they, um, they introduced the doctor's daughter in an episode with David Tennant, who who he eventually married in real life and is the do- and is the daughter of a previous Doctor Who. But yeah, it's very <laughs> it is very incestuous. But, but well, there's like yeah. three people in Great Britain. Much like so. Lord of the Rings, the choices are low. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't understand why people have a problem with that one just because they want him to be asexual so badly, I guess. But like he's in love with her. I I I, he I think says so. I think his sexuality <laughs> may vary depending on the incarnation. Sure. But but, but, but that but, one but that, is dating her. One, yes. No, that yes, <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. I mean so I think it's funny when you get into sort of headcanons about asexual characters. When we talked mm-hmm. about Jughead earlier, and that's really a canonical situation rather than a headcanon. But I can certainly understand why some people might headcanon some version of the Doctor or all versions of the Doctor as asexual. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I do kind of see. Well, you can also be asexual and still have sex. That too. And yeah. it seems just so clear to me that that is, even if you wanted to say he's an asexual, that's clearly a romantic relationship. Like, I don't understand I, why anybody has a, I, I, has a problem with I, that I think one. Capaldi and Missy did. Mm-hmm. Oh, I believe that. I, I, I um, While she's like, while he has her locked up in the, I, um, in the pit I, for that, that yeah, entire season. And, yeah, absolutely. And I think somewhere along the line, some other yeah. incarnation of the doctor and some other incarnation of the master did. I don't know which one, yeah. <laughs> but somewhere in their past. Right there. I mean, they, the, the master, Actually, I can't remember if he says it as the master. It, that the end of that season gets weird, where there's yeah. both a master and a missy running around, and I can't remember which one of them says it. But one of them points out that that he and the doctor loved each other yeah. for a long yeah. time. Where I think you get into the same question as with Spock right. and Kirk, and you know, with the, the things that we were talking about earlier. And, yeah. And then yeah, they've got Groot and Rocket Raccoon, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't buy it at all. No. Nope. Think that one's entirely buddyish. I think that one's buddyish too. Although I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Rocket can be the one to teach Groot about genders. <laughs> he does have that great fight scene where he screams, yeah. "Learn about genders!" at Groot. I just, I, yeah. I'm still laughing about that. It's been years since I saw that film, mm. and I still think it's funny. Uh, Superman and Batman, DC Universe. Eh, depends on what story. Yeah, this goes back to last week's episode. Yeah, I can see it in some versions, and other versions, I'm like, mm, no. They have. John Luke Picard and Beverly Crusher. Obviously. Oh, good lord. Yeah. All right. I think they came around and said okay, they had yeah. a nice relationship. Yeah. I, I think wasn't okay. that part of the when they first introduced them? I don't remember if it was ever said, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at the at the very least, uh, Picard had an inappropriate crush on his best friend's wife. Yes. Yeah. At the very least. So Sherlock Holmes. Well, so the reason I want to talk about Sherlock Holmes is that Sherlock Holmes, it's a, it's a very old property. It's in the public domain now, all of it, finally. But, you know, it was originally published in the, started being published in the 1800s. And people have had headcanons, sexy headcanons or not, about Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes for a long time. And some people have written things where he gets married and some people have done this and people have arguments about it. A whole sort of great thing. The canon itself is really inconsistent mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And there are both Watsonian and Doyleist mm-hmm. explanations for that. There's one point in um, Hound of the Baskervilles where John Watson explicitly says that he's writing from his notes, but one page is missing. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, what's on the missing pages is a eternal question with, with Sherlock Holmes. And so sometimes it's he's 
hiding a, at the time, illegal homosexual mm-hmm. relationship with Holmes is one explanation for some of these inconsistencies that he's deliberately um, disguising things and deliberately mm-hmm. leaving things out. Other explanations are that he's just bad at his job, <laughs> which is my favorite. <laughs> my favorite is he just, he doesn't even remember his own first name half the time. But because Sherlock Holmes gets adapted so much and because it's in the public domain, so people write about it and they make movies of it and they make television shows of it and all sorts of things, you can kind of see the range of headcanons that people have about Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes and sex, right? So Elementary has this version where he is pretty clearly mm-hmm. aromantic. He's been in love once or twice in his life, but he has lots of sex with people he doesn't even particularly like. He just right. likes having sex with them. Um, and then there's the... BBC version? The mm-hmm. Sherlock version, which is really easy to read mm-hmm. as asexual. He notices when people are making passes at him and he either turns them down with an indication of, of disinterest about sex in general, or he ignores it. Yeah, he is certainly on the BBC version, if not asexual, very sexually awkward and poor at dealing with it. Like you have to read it one way or the other. Either he's not interested at all, or he just is very bad at dealing with the sexual part of a relationship. Right. There's absolutely no way that he's someone who has the kind of normalized sex that people have these days where like they get together and then on right. the third date they bone like he's that's not mm-hmm. he can't do that he fails to do that <laughs> he either fails right. he either fails or doesn't want to so those are two different you know sort of different spectrums of the the Sherlock Holmes adaptation and then you have the the Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law movies where he's Iron Man where it's where he's Iron Man but also where Holmes is obviously jealous mm-hmm. of Watson's wife and where the actors of course and this is extra canonical have referred to the movie as a love story but you know Holmes st- talks about their relationship and Watson objects and he changes mm-hmm. the word to partnership and it, it's very clear that that Holmes sees this as this sort of central relationship in his life and it's very easy to read that as him mm-hmm. being in love with Watson even though Watson's married to somebody else and I think that that sort of covers the spectrum of common interpretations of Holmes, right? Aromantic, asexual, um, or horny on the main for Watson. Um, some, sometimes he's horny on the main mm-hmm. for Irene Adler. The only real character, but, female uh, character in the entire yeah. series. <laughs> the only real female character yeah. in the entire series. You know, people have so many headcanons about it and so many of them get out there in different versions of it. And that's one mm-hmm. of the things that I love about it because it's such this, the, the, the original is so inconsistent that you can find all of these things that fit into the original work and you can interpret the original work in all these different ways. And we can see the ways that people interpret it. I find that really interesting and wonderful. Any headcanon you have for Sherlock Holmes is available. Yes. And as per our last episode, all continuities <laughs> matter. All continuities happen. None of them matter at all. So, um, this is true. I want to do one last one. When I was preparing for this episode, I was, I was talking with my mother, actually. And she mentioned one. So my mother's not a comic book fan, but she thought of this. And I want my mommy to love me and listen to the show. So we're going to talk about Batman and Robin with with no understanding of the, the kind of deep knowledge of this that I have. My mom said, well, I've, I always thought Batman and Robin was weird because they're living together and it's a man and his underage boy. And that's kind of weird. <laughs> and my mother has never read Seduction of the Innocent. <laughs> <laughs> But she came up with that all on her own. So briefly, just for people who have not read Seduction of the Innocent and and don't go read Seduction of the Innocent. I had to. It's my job. But Seduction of the Innocent was a book written by a psychologist named Frederick Wortham in 1954, wherein he argued that comic books were the root of all evil on the planet. Yes, all evil 
all of it. <laughs> and among other things, comic books caused young kids, particularly boys who were reading it, to become rapists and murderers and gay. And nobody wanted their kids to be gay, rapists, murderers. And by the way, rapists rape girls, but they're also gay. Yes, Wortham believed this. Don't think about it too hard. Nobody wanted this to happen to their kids. So we had congressional hearings to ban comic books because comic books might make the youth of America gay, murderer, rapist. Anyway, so his, he has an entire chapter devoted to how Batman and Robin are gay propaganda to turn young boys gay. He really believed this and he goes into explicit details of how it works. It was bullshit, but <laughs> and but yeah. it destroyed the comic book industry for about 50 years. It really caused a lot of problems and changes that don't matter. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> whole other episode. But then I started thinking about it. And here's this weird thing. There is a very interesting in the many, many Batman canons. There is a very, very interesting story called All-Star Batman and Robin. Now, Wayne's going to see where I'm going with this. <laughs> in All-Star <laughs> Batman and Robin by Frank Miller, who is a interesting individual. Let's just put it that. But Frank Miller argues that Batman is an asshole. And it's odd because... <laughs> Because you think that Frank Miller loves Batman, if you've read many of, of Frank's other Batman stories. But Frank very explicitly argues in All-Star Batman and Robin that Batman is an asshole that has Psych a psychotic, psychotic, crazy person that has issues. And in Frank Miller's version of Batman and Robin, here's how Robin gets adopted. Bruce goes to the circus. He sees this poor kid's parents get killed, but sees that the kid's athletic. So he's like... I'm going to adopt that kid and use him as a human shield. Yes. You know, Batman wears all black and he hides in the shadows and he has this little kid in, you know, bikini shorts and a red t-shirt go bounce around to get shot at. That's the, that's Robin. So, so he needs to convince this kid to be his crime fighting partner. So he adopts the kid and the kid's like, what do you mean fight crime? You're fucking nuts. They swear a lot in all-star Batman and Robin. And he, and he says, I'm not nuts. I'm the goddamn Batman. That is an actual quote. Everything else I've been joking about. That's, that's an actual quote. quote from the book that Batman says a lot. He quite frequently says, I'm the goddamn Batman. So in order to convince Dick Grayson that he wants to become Robin, he takes Dick Grayson down to the Batcave and locks him in for three weeks and with nothing. And he says, what am I going to do down here? And he's like, um, and he's like, figure it out. And he's like, what am I going to eat? And he says, there are rats. And after about three or four weeks of eating rats <laughs> and whatever he can kill, Dick Grayson's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll fucking be Robin. Like, that, that, you know, so the way he becomes Robin is Batman decides to break this. I think he's supposed to be 12 at the time. He decides to break this 12 year old boy spirit and turn him into a psychotic like himself. That's the story of Batman and Robin to him. Now, if I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking that's Frank Miller's Batman and Robin, and he essentially decides to break the spirit of this 12 year old boy with these power games that he plays on him constantly. And then I thought, well, or probably, you know, like what I know about real life and horrible people is that, you know, raping people is a way that people do that. So like, if you're going to turn, if you're going to turn out a teen runaway, that's what happens. And frankly, Frank Miller's Batman is not above that sort of thing. So yeah. I think in most Batman, I think he's, you know, he loves Dick and Dick is his, oh God, he loves Dick. I didn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he loves Dick Grayson and Robin is his, you know, adopted son. 
But I think in some versions, eh. yeah, in that in All Star Batman, absolutely. But in a violent, horrible way. In, in that that early stuff that Wortham was talking about, I mean, certainly from a modern perspective, you can go back and and you can read that relationship into it. You can read a homosexual relationship into it. Just because you can read one into right. it doesn't mean it was intended to be there. And you know, like any, you know, it's a father son relationship. Fathers allow their sons to sleep in their beds yeah, when they're young 12. children. You know, that's not <laughs> unusual. Yeah, well, in in, in oh, All Star yeah. Batman, in the original, yeah, in the original, he's much younger. Yeah, originally or something like. Yeah, it's the 1940s. It's the 1950s. This was very much a father son, mm-hmm. you know, bonding re- relationship kind of thing. Uh, so, you, can you read more into mm-hmm. it than that? Absolutely. Was that intended? Probably not. Um, you know, an alternate origin for, for Robin is, is Robin Year One, which is one of my favorite Dick Grayson stories. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Dick Grayson fan. He's one of my favorite characters in the, the DC universe when presented correctly, i.e. not all-star <laughs> Batman. Um, oh yeah. By the way, all-star Batman's bad. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's really bad. Um, Robin, Robin Year One is is probably my favorite, one of my favorite Dick Grayson stories. And you know, the origin is that in that is he's adopted by by Bruce Wayne. Bruce doesn't tell him he's a superhero. It's just you know he, he's in the mansion. Dick discovers that Bruce Wayne is Batman through his own observation and, and being a smart kid. And at ten years old, when he discovers there are superheroes in the world, that's what he wants to be. The only thing Dick Grayson is ever, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. I want to be a superhero. And Batman decided to train him because Robin was going out and doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stop him. So like, all right, if he's going to be doing this, I'm going to train him. And I, I like that idea that Robin just Dick Grayson, just like, I want to be a superhero. And my dad happens to be one of the best ones. It explains everything about that character that happened yeah. over the next. Yeah. However many years. So, so as an alternate origin to the being locked <laughs> in the bat cave and eating guano, uh, but yeah, I, I think you can certainly make the point for that relationship in, in, I like you just did mm-hmm. in all star Batman in general. Well, I think there, no. and I think there are a lot of really, um, I think with Batman again, cause if we're going to go back to the last episode and accept the multiple continuities theory, I think you end up with lots of really interesting relationships for a long time. The idea of Batman and Selena Kyle was a thing of fan fiction. They clearly would flirt with each other, but people yeah. it's like, Oh, well obviously he'd never, they would never actually do anything. And then when they did the, like I remember when they rebooted the universe for the new 52 and there's, and there's a, the first issue of Catwoman is them fighting and then having sex on a rooftop and people were like, that's disgusting. That's horrible. Batman would never do. My idea of Batman has been sleeping with Selena Kyle on rooftops since 1955. <laughs> and that absolutely makes sense to me. I didn't like the rest of that book, but that portion of it made sense. Yeah. And it sort of set the world for what is now the canon relationship. We're tangenting. Yes. We are. <laughs> Which means. So we will resolve nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I enjoyed this conversation. Laura, thank you for coming. Where can people find more stuff? Cause you actually write these things, not necessarily for the characters we talked about, but for some of them, you write a lot of this stuff. I do write fan fiction. I've written um, fan fiction for public consumption since the nineties. Um, and mm-hmm. for not public consumption since the eighties, there's lots, of stuff somewhere in one of the boxes my mother gave me when she moved out of town is probably the Linda Hamilton Ron Perlman Beauty and the Beast scripts uh, in my childish hand um, nice. you can find me at Archive of Our Own my author name is Laura JV or you can find me at Dreamwith where I am laurajv.dreamwith.org I will link to both of those in the show notes Wayne what about you uh, here 
<laughs> I love asking you that every week just for you can say that. Uh, uh, oh, here. Yeah. Uh, now my my blog, which uh, nothing new this week, but uh, yeah. so yeah, we're returning to that to that tradition of yes. six months without a post. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can find my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can find the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast, and you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com. If you enjoy the show, and I certainly hope you do, consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. iTunes reviews somehow magically help people find the show in ways that I and nobody else understands how, nor do I really care, but I need your love or I cry. <laughs> so please write a review. <laughs> uh, you can also listen to the show on Stitcher and Spotify and wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought Form Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically as it plays us out. I would like to once again thank you for listening. Once again, thank Laura for joining us. Thanks, Laura. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, Dameron, you're alive? Buddy, so are you. What happened to you? What happened? I got thrown from the crash. I woke up at night, no you, no ship, nothing. BB-8 says that you saved it. No, 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 it wasn't just me. You completed my mission, Finn. That's my jacket. Oh, oh. No, 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 no. Keep it, it suits you. You're a good man, Finn. <laughs>